This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. Today is a great day to study the Bible. As you listen to today's message, I pray that you're blessed as we study God's Word together. Now, if you look up here, you might say uh, or see there's something a little bit different. Yesterday, I lost three and a half pounds. It's the best diet to go on. You just shave your face. And you lose, uh, if you've been growing it out for six months or so, that's all it takes. Kenny, I'll take care of this this time. I mean, you do it for Adam every week, but it's all, it's all good, man. Don't feel, don't feel bad about it at all for the next 25 minutes. All right, so last time I was up here, it was a difficult and amazing experience. If you remember, I shared a little bit about our house situation. So I thought it would be a good time to just do a quick update. Lord really provided a miracle. That Sunday, we had a dozen different families come up to us and offer us a place to stay. I mean, talk about, talk about humbling and not surprising at the same time. You all were amazing, but our insurance did come through in a miraculous event. <laughs> they came through, offered us uh, a continue, really did what they should have done in the first place, and gave us our home through April, which we're very excited. And uh, we're hoping, we're very hopeful that our house will actually be completed sometime in mid-May, and then in June, get ready for a party, come over to our house, and you can see uh, all the things that God has done through that home and the things that God is going to do. When we first moved into that house 10 years, 10 and a half years ago, we had, which is crazy, we had, some of you were in that home the very first time that we were in there. We invited the youth group over and all the parents, and we prayed a blessing on that home, that God would do amazing things through that, that place. Some of you were in that space, and so we want to do that same thing again, rededicate that space to the Lord, so consider yourself invited whenever that happens. Lindsay is excited for that and all the preparation they'll take, but no, it'll be great. So we would love Love for you to be there. Join us. Let's have a party at the Henniger house. All right, so let's jump into it. I'm going to make some statements, okay? And you're going to get a little exercise here. So if you want to turn your, your Apple watches on to like free exercise mode, whatever it's called, I'm going to have you stand if you agree with the statement. If you say that this statement is true, if you're able and willing to stand, I'm going to invite you to stand. Okay, makes sense. I'll say a statement. If you say that this statement is true, stand up. Don't be bashful. We're going to start real easy. Okay? First statement. I am indoors. Okay? I go ahead and sit. Next statement is, like I said, you're going to get some work out here. I have 10 toes. Some people might not, so we got some nine-toed folks. That's okay. We love you too. Okay, go ahead and sit. Okay. This one isn't more difficult, but for some people it might be. The earth is round. Okay, we're doing pretty good so far. Okay, go ahead and sit. Next one, gravity exists. 
We're doing great. Looks like we're doing great so far. Okay, go ahead and sit. All right, we're going to get a little harder, a little harder. Um, If I was in your seat right now, I actually would not stand for the next one, but this is going to be you, okay? The University of Michigan has the best football program in the new big conference. The new big, it's okay. All right. Okay, go ahead and sit. All right. Buffalo Wild Wings has the best wings in town, baby. Really? Where else are you all going? Wingstop? They're either great or bad. Like, you, they, they, they're like, Buffalo Wild Wings, you know what you're going to get? It's mostly good. Wingstop could be great or it could be terrible. All right, next one. Having a strong social media presence is important. Y'all lying over there. So, <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, next one. Chick-fil-A is overrated. Y'all are my compatriots. You are. It is overrated. But their chocolate shake is not overrated. Their chocolate shake is the best thing at that place. All right, we're going to get a little harder. Reading the Bible every day is necessary for a believer. Okay. All right, go ahead and have a seat. The examples of how the Holy Spirit worked in the Bible is how the Holy Spirit works today. All right, go ahead and have a seat. The last one. You have a good grasp on what God can and will do in this world. Yes, Christina Murphy, you have a good grasp on what God can and will do in this world. There we go. All right, so here's some questions I just want you to think about. How do you determine what is true? How, is it how you feel about something? Is it what you have observed Is it what have others observed? Is it what the experts have written about? Maybe what some teacher told you or what your parents said is true or what your preacher or youth minister or elder have said is true? How do you determine truth? So here's some truth. I used to have amazing hair. I mean, look at that dashing fellow approximately 19 years ago. Seattle public market. It was thick and it was dark, dark brown, a bit wavy, total surfer vibe going on. Uh, But here's some more truth. That ship has sailed regardless how I might feel about it. The proof's in the pudding, right? (laughs) Truth 
is not always easy to hear or experience. It can be downright depressing or scary or shocking, but it's necessary. The truth is necessary. And in a world that we live in where truth changes regularly, where it's often completely subjective, sometimes we need some truth bombs. But it's difficult to know what the truth is always, always is. And our, our identity, our whole being, our reality can be drastically changed when we face absolute truth. And if you can't get it by now, I'm, I'm starting to move from this lowercase truth to an uppercase T truth, talking about the truth. As in Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see, our reality, our identity should be totally and entirely changed because of our encounter with Jesus. It should no longer be what it was before. And I would say that if our life is not reflective of that new encounter, then maybe we actually didn't really have much of an encounter. Like if our pre-Jesus self looks a whole lot like our post-Jesus self, then maybe we actually didn't really encounter Jesus in the way that we are intended to. My favorite story is in Mark 5, my favorite Jesus story. If you want to open up your Bible, you can, whether you have your papal Bible or your uh, digital Bible. And this story is often referred to Jesus in the Gerasene demoniac, or Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. But before we get to that story, the story before is really important. You see, it's the story where Jesus calms the storm, right? We're familiar with that story. But it's kind of a wild story. We know Jesus goes out and he falls asleep on the boat and he, rest- and he calms the storm. He says, be quiet, right? But there's this moment when he says to his disciples, let's get in the boat and let's go east. And then they look at him and they're got to be thinking, yeah, we don't go that way. We're Jews. Do you know what lies on that other side of the lake? Like that's a Gentile area. We should not go over there because... You know, Jesus, Jews don't associate with Gentiles. That's the truth. That's not our space. We stay on this side of the lake. They got that side of the lake. And Jesus is like, no, we're going to go. Well, they get out on their boat and then the water and then this storm comes and it's almost like they're like, "Uh uh-huh. See, God does not want us to go over there. He is sending this storm so that we cannot make it to that side of the lake. God doesn't want us over there, Jesus. We best turn around and get back to our side. We know our place. They know their place. Right? It's almost like they're thinking that. And they wake Jesus up, and he looks at this storm. And you see, up to that point, their kind of identity of Jesus was, he can do some great miracles, like the people that he can heal or affect or whatever. He's got some miracle working ability over folks. But Jesus wakes up, and what does he do? He tells that storm to be quiet, to be still, to knock it off. And they see Jesus in the new light, that he's not just a miracle worker, but he is literally the Lord over creation. Their identity of who Jesus is just blows up. But it's almost like in that moment where he tells that storm to be quiet, the disciples also zip it. And if you look in the text, it's a while before they talk again. And as a matter of fact, the story that we are going to look at today, they are just total observers. They literally don't speak in this whole story. And it's a while. If you want to read in Mark's, in Mark's gospel, it's a while before, a while before they start speaking again. 
And so Jesus, as Lord of all creation, says, no, those are my people too. It's not just you. They need me. You all have assigned value and worth to your own people, and those folks over there have nothing according to you. So be quiet. Let's keep going. So, right, they show up on the shore. If you'll stand with me, and let's read this story together, as is our tradition here at the Rochester Church of Christ. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on the knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. Then the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Go ahead and have a seat. Right, so the, the, the storm has been calm. They make it to the other side. They get across the lake and Jesus got out of the boat. And what happens? I sometimes think of it as strike one or maybe affirmation to the Jews because this unclean man starts running to Jesus. Like not only is he dirty, but where has he been living? Not just caves, but what else is in the caves? Tombs, dead folk. Like this wasn't maybe necessarily out of the ordinary for the poor to find a place to live in a cave. They would live wherever it took. Right? You want shelter. If you get to a point in the life where that's your only option to stay away from the weather, you might take it. But this guy who comes out just filthy runs towards Jesus. And the, who's still in the boat? The disciples are still in the boat. Jesus is out of it, but the disciples are in it. And he comes running from the tombs. He is cut up. He's a mess. And we learn more about this man. Well, he had been chained hand and foot. 
but he tore and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day among the hills, the tombs, he would cry out and cut himself with stone. And you can imagine the picture that the people in the area had about this man. This fellow Gentile freaked them out. And they had done their best to subdue him, to take away his value and worth. Nothing worked at all. And knowing all this, here comes this crazy person, and maybe the Gentile, or maybe the disciples are going, like I said, Jesus, we should have turned around. Maybe they're thinking that. They certainly don't speak it. And this man, who we know as Legion, comes and runs and falls at the feet of Jesus, and he says, don't torture me. Like he knows there's something different about Jesus, but he does not know that Jesus has not only ability to do that if he chose, but Jesus doesn't do that. He's going to say, he's going to free them. He's going to free them, right? Because at the same time, the disciples have this idea of Jesus, and it's beginning to expand. Jesus is freeing the disciples from their understanding of what truth looks like. Because Jesus, as truth, is different than what they've expected, Right? We've totally come to understand that they, as Jews, thought that Jesus was going to return the Jewish or Hebrew Israel nation back to its former prominence here on earth. They didn't understand what Jesus was all about. And so he's beginning to open up their eyes and freeing everybody from this misconception of what Jesus really is there to do. And so we see, my name is Legion. He responds, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And then maybe strike number two happens. If, if the disciples aren't like, this is bad enough. We got this, this crazed lunatic man who's cut himself up, who's clearly demon-possessed. Now they look up on the hillside and what do they see? Pigs. Like if there's a non-Jew animal, there we go. If, if the Jews are like, this is not the place we're supposed to be, here's more affirmation. They are in the wrong location. These people are not your people. This place is not your place. Let's get going. But then in maybe a moment of victory, Jesus sends off the legion, all these demons into the pigs, and they go and jump off this cliff and drown. And so maybe for a second, they're like, yes. But that's a lot of lost bacon, unfortunately. But then that sets some, some things in the motion. You see, he becomes clean in the sense that the demons are gone, but he doesn't really know what to do with himself. And so those, it says, those who were tending the pigs ran off and reported what just happened. They went into the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. And then they were afraid. Did you catch that? That's where fear enters the story. Fear enters the story here when Jesus had done the miraculous. He, it wasn't the, just the boat stuff, but he gets over here on this side of the lake, the east side of the lake, and this man has been healed, this person who they thought there was no hope. 
he's a lost cause. He'll eventually just kill himself down here in that tomb. And, well, he'll already be with dead people, so who cares? And the people become afraid when they go and they see Jesus, and he's okay. His worth has been restored. His value, his dignity has been restored. And so the people, the Jews who said those people have no worth or value or dignity, well, maybe there's something about this Jesus character that changes that. That's kind of freaky. That changes our truth. You mean to say that Jesus loves everybody? Huh. He sure does, right, Adam? Not just the people that we say, they're clean cut, they look good, they go to church every Sunday, they're part of small groups, or they're invested in ministries. Not the crack addicts? Those folks? The depressed and the suicidal? The people who don't know Jesus he loves? The people who haven't said yes to Jesus he loves? Fear took over. And it was so strong that they're like, we cannot take this. Just leave. We're okay with where we were at, Jesus. We didn't need to see like this new truth. We had already decided what truth was. And now you had to come in here and start messing with things. They plead with Jesus. They beg Jesus. We're not okay with this. Leave. So, Jesus gets into the boat. But that man who never had value or worth, what does he do? He runs to Jesus and says, I can't be, I I need to come with you. You are my everything. I have been restored. Jesus, let me come with you. And what's he do? He looks at Jesus, or Jesus looks at him and says, actually, I have a charge for you. Go tell everybody. Now, isn't that interesting? That when Jesus is in Jewish territory, most of the time he's like, don't tell anyone. But yet he goes into the Gentile territory and he says, you're now my evangelist. Go spread the word about what has been done. Your life is going to be a reflection of God's light. Man. we read the texts, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospels, Paul's letter, and we arrive at the conclusion that the truth is not for everyone, man, we've missed it. Jesus heals and frees a man in the space that the Jews never would have gone to. They never would have even considered it. It wasn't even an option. And if that's not enough, if you want to just keep on reading in Mark 5, you're going to see what else he does. 
He's going to assign value to this woman that had also been written off because of a medical issue that no one could help her with. And so according to their law, she was unclean. You couldn't go near her. You couldn't touch her. You too would be unclean. And then he's going to raise a little girl from the dead. And Jesus looks at us and he says, go tell people what I've done for you. That man that we know as Legion, he couldn't help it, right? He's, Jesus, let me come with you. Let me see more about what you can do. And he's like, no, you go and tell others about what has happened to you. And he's like, okay, I will do that. Since you've instructed me, I'm going to go do that. Do we do that? Jesus has done something for you, right? You're sitting in these seats because of that. And you're wanting to figure out more about what else Jesus might do through you and in you. Are you telling others of that? The people that Jesus sought out wouldn't have ever been on the radar of the Jews. Why? Because they knew truth. They thought they did. They had it all figured out. And Jesus showed them that their truth needed a complete makeover. You see, Jesus changes everything. And still does. And will continue to do. In John 8, 31 through 32, if you hold to my teaching you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John 14, 6, Jesus is sitting with his closest and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The truth does not set us free because we are able to discern between right and wrong and, we, and because we have built up some great store of knowledge and wisdom. That's not why. The truth has set us free over and over again, because that truth is Jesus. Did you hear that? Like the truth sets us free because the truth is Jesus, not because of our knowledge or wisdom or experience or understanding, or because we finally have arrived and we have finally figured out and we know who gets into heaven and who doesn't. And we know the type of people that Jesus would go to and the type of people that he would just steer clear of. No, that is false. If we read this, Jesus goes to everybody. And it's that freedom that initiates my responsibility, your responsibility, to follow Jesus by loving God fully and loving your neighbor entirely. Entirely, without hesitation. Regardless of my wants or my truths. And so my prayer is that God would open our eyes up to the ways that he is working in this world and that we would actually have the eyes to see it. God, I thank you for your truth. Your son that actually gives us the eyes to see the world in the way that you see it. That there are not the has and the has-beens or the those who are good or those who are evil or but that God they're all your children. 
And God, it's not our job to determine who's in or who's out. And God, help us to get over that language. Get over the the fact that we think we know it all. But God, I pray that you would help us understand your truth. Not just the truths that we have come and have arrived at today. But God, your truth, your son Jesus, that frees us to see the value and dignity and worth in every single person. Not just those that we're comfortable with. But see them the way that you show us, God. Open our eyes to who you are and what you do. God, we pray all these things, your son's most holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.